0: And I mean, like, why does it cost £25 to buy an eco-friendly food wrapping when you can just buy cling film for a pound?
1: Yeah, exactly. There's no the consumer, there Yeah, anymore. it's just
0: illogical. Like, the consumers are generally not the problem. It's the markets that provide and construct these ideas that we then buy into.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new season of Brown Don't Frown, a podcast which was inspired by my own personal story and journey with womanhood and feminism. It's a podcast where we celebrate new perspectives and unconventional thinking. Brown Don't Frown seeks to build a more inclusive discourse which breaks down the prejudice and assumptions about different passions, opinions, and cultures, and shines a light on the stories of underrepresented women who do not fit the typical criteria or ideals of mainstream feminism. I am your host, Tanya Hardcastle. Stay tuned for what we hope to be an informative, engaging and thought-provoking Season 3. We have some incredible guests lined up, including other podcasters, changemakers in the fields of climate change, artificial intelligence, technology, environmental campaigns, South Asian mental health awareness and bereavement. As well as personal stories in the wake of Black Lives Matter. If you have thoughts or comments, or would like to get in touch and contribute to the podcast in any way, please do feel free to get in touch at browndon'tfrownpod at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. Take care and stay safe. Hello, everyone. Joining us today, I'm honored to have Natasha Piet Bashir, Environmental Campaign Manager, and Shahida Aziz, Garden Outreach Lead and Therapeutic Gardener from the Women's Environmental Network. Welcome to you both. Hi. Hi, Tanya. Thank you for having us. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for, for being here and giving up your Friday evening. <laughs> <laughs> Can't think of anything better on a Friday, Friday evening. <laughs> so shahida and natasha will tell us a bit more about themselves so over to you guys shahida would you like to go first
0: i do garden outreach uh, uh with Wen and i'm also a therapeutic gardener for the Source sisters project i come from teaching background so i trained as an early years teacher and worked in many london schools in different capacities from my 20s onwards i think i had a bit of a light bulb moment when i very randomly came across the job of my dreams which was working at City Farm initially as a trainee gardener. Um, I remember being quite. Wow, over- <laughs>
1: oh my God, what a change! I know it
0: was a real shift, um, but like the shift that I was like waiting for. And I just remember, yeah, I was really overwhelmed with emotions on the first day, and I was like, literally talking to my mum in my head, who's no longer here with us, but, you know, telling her mum, I made it.
1: Yeah, my dreams have come true.
0: (laughs) My dreams have come true. It was like a real special moment. But whilst working at the farm, I heard about WEN and learned that the farm had worked closely with them for a while. Um, And again, amongst all the beautiful flowers and greenery, I just wondered what it must be like to work for an organisation that puts women's issues at the heart of what they do. So that thought kind of manifested into me seeing an advert a job post um, to work as an intern for WEN, who were looking to hire women of colour in particular within town Hamlets. So I fit the bill, I applied, I got on the 10-week internship. Fast forward to 2020, I guess I'm very much part of the team. But I guess that feeling of luck also comes from the deep-rooted feeling that I shouldn't have this kind of job in the first place or the Mm. kind of white people occupy or... You know, you don't grow up in town hamlets thinking you'll get a job in the environmental sector. That's no. far too much privilege for a brown girl. So I think that's partly the reason why I surprised myself in a way. So... Yeah, um, and I'm
1: sure you surprised others as well in a positive way. And to Natasha, take it away. I
2: actually came across Women's Environmental Network through my master's research. I wanted to do my dissertation on the links between menstrual health and its effect on girls' education. And I didn't know about WEN until I did a search just on my, you know, Google search bar, just searching for organizations that were um, working on menstrual health-related issues. And then I came across WEN, and it was just incredible to learn of this campaign that they have been working on um for ages now these sorts of issues uh, around the effects of menstrual health and its link with the environment and health and i was really blown away by the uh, the amount of um work and emphasis on the intersection between you know the environmental health and social issues surrounding periods which I hadn't before really thought about on a deep level. And um, I just knew that, you know, from my previous work, I had learned about the incredible uh, issues surrounding lack of access to period products uh, around the globe and how this is uh, something that I thought was just so much of a privilege that I hadn't, hadn't truly thought about deeply before. So
1: there's quite a lot to talk about when it comes to when I came across your organization a few months ago, actually, when you recommended my podcast as as part of your, I think it was part of an article recommending various intersectional pieces of information. So thank you so much for doing that. It'd be really interesting, I think, for the listeners for you to tell us a bit more about the history of when and how it came to came to fruition.
2: Sure. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. So Women's Environmental Network, or WEN, was founded quite a while ago, actually. It's been over 30 years. So it was founded around 1988 uh, and officially became WEN in 89, I think. Wow. And um, and it was really created uh, from pioneers in the environmental justice movement in, in the way that they wanted to uh, tackle issues, environmental issues through a more inclusive lens and looking at how um, the environment and women um, interconnect especially. Um, So WEN really works to support women and their communities to take action for a healthier planet. So since you know the late 80s, WEN has really been building strong partnerships and promoting social action on environmental issues. Mm. And a lot of our projects are around focusing on things like women's health and the environment and looking at how those two intersect. And also we support women and communities to achieve environmental justice uh, and gender equality. So ways that we do this are through creating collaborative partnerships with uh, other organizations, academics, policymakers, etc. Um, And we launch projects and campaigns that really, you know, work to make a real difference uh, and improve people's lives. Mm. So that's sort of what who when is. Um, And we now we really have key six project areas. So uh, we have a, a focus on nature and well-being. So when supports projects that promote positive mental health and well-being and well-being Uh, through therapeutic gardening, uh, food growing, and cooking. We also work on an air equality project. So yeah, we look at um, how we can take practical action to improve air quality. And we offer workshops and toolkits through our project. Um, And we also do a uh, women's climate action Uh, activities so we're working with uh, other feminist organizations to launch a green new deal set of principles through an intersectional lens
1: that sounds amazing Um,
2: yeah those are just a a few
1: (laughs) a lot of stuff going on there yeah it sounds very awesome very productive organization which is making sure that people are aware um, and yeah, making lots of noise, which is very important for an organisation, especially one that centres around environmental justice. I know that uh, WEN recently launched a new initiative entitled Justice, Food and Climate Transition. And I just wanted to ask what the key objectives of that were.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so Just Fact is a new and exciting five year long initiative uh, supporting community led climate action in Tower Hamlets we received 2.1 million pounds our biggest pot of funding I think to date which is an outstanding achievement for when yeah absolutely we'll we'll be working with local residents as we have been and um, there'll be about around 10 community organizations focusing on reducing the environmental impacts of our food system we'll obviously be opening up the debate about how food is farmed packaged and transported looking at the effects how it that affects us directly and of course like with the rise of food banks due to covid it really does put the spotlight on some of the societal issues of course we face with regards to food poverty in general and yeah you know more more so into hamlets as well um as we always hear like it's borough in the uk our goal is to create a resilient food system Uh, that means creating a planet and people-friendly diet that is affordable you know we want to support we want the support of our community and the consent of our community to look at people's consumption and eating habits what can we do to ensure we are eating as well as we can without compromising the planet you know how can we actively be part of the climate change movement in town hamlets Um, what are we going to look at and how are we going to work together to bring about like positive changes that is accessible for everyone?
1: Mm, yeah, accessibility is a, is a big driver at the moment. It's a huge
0: yeah. problem I think and Gwen is really centres around that, like how can we make the idea of climate issues viable to mm. the person and the yeah. We all seem to have like accepted the fact that <laughs> damn, this is one of the most economically deprived boroughs in the UK, so I think from Gwen's perspective we're asking ourselves, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to protect our communities, care for each other, and live a good life? Essentially, mm. um, being an eco-warrior in your own right, without <laughs> all the labels that come with being an environmentalist.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, or you know, and obviously, like people say, charity starts at home. But well, you know, I say eating well starts at home, recycling starts at home, learning to compost starts in your own little communities, and like small steps working towards the bigger picture is kind of like our our aim and our goal. Mm. Uh, one of the quotes on our website is about the Just Fact project because it's a new initiative. We literally just had the pre-launch meeting like last week.
1: So. Yeah, yeah, you said it was very early. So it's like,
0: yeah, I'm still kind of like getting my head around it. But on our website, when.org.uk, you, you can find out more about it on our website. And, and obviously our approach aims to be always intersectional, inclusive and feminist. And if we understand the word feminist in the way that is meant to be understood, then we can accept that we work here at when with people from all walks of life or gender giving marginalized voices a platform to be heard in the environmental movement.
1: Mm, yeah yeah you mentioned accessibility and how can we make climate justice, climate change, the topics around and the topics surrounding it more accessible and relatable to people around us and our communities and the fact that the whole initiative is inspired by community engagement um, sounds really, really incredible. And yeah, I can't wait to see where the, the new initiative takes when part of when's objectives, uh, are to, or well, one of them is to seek to enable a more equal and just society through the intersection of gender with environmental issues. As you've both, explained so eloquently. And you do this through equipping women with knowledge, resources, and various opportunities to facilitate environmental justice, as you've laid out uh, just now. Firstly, how do we achieve environmental justice? And secondly, how do we ensure that it is intersectional? Nasha, do
2: you very want good to question, yeah. You? <laughs> sure,
1: I'll go,
2: I'll go. <laughs> so very, very good question. So I suppose through the um work that uh, we do uh, for our environmental campaign which is a campaign that looks at the issue around hidden plastic and harmful chemicals in traditional uh, period products Mm -hmm. like tampons and pads Um, through this campaign we really try to uh, ensure that it's an inclusive campaign that it includes all women and people who menstruate. We want to ensure that every woman and person who menstruates has equal access to safe, fair, and healthy menstrual products. Mm. At the moment, the, the typical products that are available happen to be damaging to people's health and to the planet at large. So, And it's really important that the fact that a lot of the cheaper products that are most readily available happen to be the ones that are the most harmful and Mm. that means that the people with the least power have the greatest exposure to these dangerous products Um, and so through our environmental campaign we really want to amplify uh, the issue the environmental health and social issues surrounding menstruation through an intersectional lens Mm. uh, in that way so we look at, um, you know, for example, the taboo that is surrounding menstruation for a lot of communities around the globe yeah. and how this can often um, have a massive impact on the products we use and also how we dispose of them. Yeah, The products that we would hope that are available to everyone are free from harmful or toxic chemicals and products that are also better for people's health and the environment. We want there to be greater transparency around the the products that are available. Um, At the moment, it's not a requirement for peer product manufacturers to disclose the ingredients uh, in the product, so that leaves women and uh, people with periods not having access to the knowledge that they need to make an informed choice about the products they're using
1: yeah I, I read about that yesterday on your website and um, I also came across the template letters to the supermarkets that you've outlined for ordinary people I guess members of the public who may want to write to the local supermarkets and ask if they would reveal the ingredients or help us Mm -hmm. to understand a bit more about these products
2: yeah exactly and you would think that it would be something that would be of the utmost sort of priority of many of the you know industry giants Mm -hmm. of in the menstrual product industry but um but it's really not in the list of priorities um and so we try to look at you know alternative options that are um you know less harmful to uh people's bodies as well as their wider environment but we also recognize that being able to choose for example a healthy organic period product can come at a cost actually to some people it's not always available to everyone so and some people may experience different um difficulties when it comes to trying different products as well it could be because of a disability or mobility issues or um due to trauma they may not be able to use insertable products for example so we we try to look at it from a very holistic lens when we do our environmental work Mm. but we also look at the um, life cycle of the period products as well like throughout the supply chain and how for example a lot of the products contain um, cotton and if it's not organic cotton then we also look at the human rights of cotton workers who are exposed to you know the pesticides um in in the food crop growing and um and how this can expose you know families to to harmful um environmental pollutants um so yeah we really look at trying to look at this this issue from an intersectional lens and really importantly we want to be as as inclusive as possible to and recognize that it's not only women that menstruate and there are people that may identify as trans that yeah. Uh, yeah. that also menstruate. So we always use the language of if we're saying women, we also say women and people who menstruate yeah. um, because periods can be experienced across the gender spectrum of course yeah um so yeah and we try to be representative when we are talking about periods because it's really important to also see people that might look like you openly talking about periods in yeah. in, in the public eye or in in the workshops that we're doing or in our even in our in our branding and in how we um kind of talk about periods openly yeah
0: I, yeah i just i think that's um what what we look at um, predominantly is like we go back to basics and strip ourselves bare and start the journey again. Mm-hmm. And what does that journey look like? How, do we manage to, how did we manage to live in a world without mass produced pl- plastic? Because we did right? at some point.
1: Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there was yeah. a time
0: that we relied on very natural materials to serve the purposes of today's society. Like
1: mm.
0: now it's like hundred times more expensive and because it's actually more expensive to be environmentally friendly not to be so how do you what you know how does that put where does that put the consumer and I mean like why does it cost 25 pounds to buy an eco-friendly food wrapping when you can just buy cling film for a pound
1: yeah exactly there's no the consumer, there
0: yeah way. it's just illogical like the consumers yeah. are generally not the problem it's the markets that provide and construct these ideas that we then buy. and I mean like why does it so cost you know, 25 pounds to, to buy to an eco got here food and wrapping, why and when you I you think just once you realize that the economies yeah, exactly. are constructed, and consumers illogical the, exactly. like, the, the consumers are generally like, oh, not the problem—is well the means that makes us construct to, like the way live, that we, we don't planet and the humans that inhabit it. You soon realize that this is not the world you want to be part of.
1: Mm. Well, yeah,
0: that's exactly. where you embrace like the awakening and truly understand like what environmental justice means. And and how yeah, how can we? How can it be intersectional? Well. I suppose intersectional is all about the layers of a person. And
1: yeah, like, like onion.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we take on, take on board like the different parts of a human being that should be considered when thinking about how climate change affects people. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, like, you know, if what is my carbon footprint on this planet in comparison to someone who lives thousands of miles away with no electricity, no air mileage to their name, only sourcing food that grows on the land, for example, I mean, guaranteed, I will not win that battle. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so when, when we look at the effects of climate change, I think with an intersectional lens, um, we can appreciate and understand better how a person or the environment has more identities, many layers that make up who they are, those individual like components that, like race, gender, class, etc., which shape the specific experience that individual
1: has. Mm. It just comes down to valuing people for who, who they are and where they come from. Yes, of course. I think that's really important. And you mentioned about the awakening that a lot of us have when we think about environmental issues. And I just had a a reflective moment there and thought, back to when lockdown first began and there was a lot of panic buying people couldn't really get the products they wanted because they'd run out and i had this Mm -hmm. really weird existential moment where i thought why have i never grown my own vegetables why don't (laughs) i have any of these things why do i need to go to a shop to buy them when there are so many facilities for me to be able to grow them Um, and i thought of urban living you know city life living in london you, you don't always have a lot of outdoor space and i thought of ways in which you know how can we as a society make way for prioritizing outdoor space and encouraging people to grow your own you know in small initiatives like that that can actually go a very long way especially given the current context of a pandemic that we're in and heading for a, another lockdown um, no mm-hmm. doubt so yeah it's a really interesting point that you raised there, there as well I know that you also run some really awesome campaigns and various initiatives every year. And one of your current campaigns is working to make sure that period products are plastic free, as you said, Natasha, and as, Part of that initiative, you ran Environmental Week last October, and are doing so again this year, running from the 19th to 25th of October. Much of the stigma about periods comes from our lack of awareness about the health, the societal and the economic and environmental impacts of periods. I'd love to know a bit more about Environmental Week and your objectives for the initiative this year. Sure, absolutely.
2: So yeah, you've kind of given a bit of an intro there. I guess I'll first just kind of talk about the environmental campaign that, that WEN's been running for a number of years now and sort of what the main aims are of that campaign. So really the main focus is uh, to, um, for, for people who menstruate to be able to manage their periods without harming the planet or their health and also uh, in doing so um, breaking the, the menstrual taboo Mm. that we have in our society and we also raise awareness about the impact of menstrual products on the environment and provide information about the conventional disposable period products Mm. um, that are currently the most widely available and how this uh, they potentially could affect our health and um, so what we do is we provide workshops we have an ambassador program where we're able to uh, deliver period education about with all the information that people would need to make an informed choice about which menstrual products to use. Mm. And through these um, educational interactive engagements that we have, um, we try to challenge the stigma of menstruation. So we do work with young people, and um, sometimes it's uh, quite a taboo to- topic mm. and embarrassing topic for yeah. a lot of people. People, so um, we try to normalize the conversation, and um, and we also have uh, a environmental coalition as well, where we collectively take action with uh, over sixty organizations to promote healthy, eco friendly menstruation, and so that's through whether that be through education or lobbying actions to manufacturers or policymakers. Mm-hmm. And um, as a bit of background for Environmental Week, so Environmental Week was launched in 2018, so we're now into our third year. Oh, wow. yeah. And yeah, it's a week of action uh, that was started here in the UK by Wen. Um, so we convened the week, and it's really dedicated to advocating for healthy, eco friendly menstrual products for everybody. Um, And it's about ensuring that people can feel empowered to make an informed choice about their their, um, menstruation decisions. And also we have a a purpose of tackling period plastic especially and um, harmful chemicals like hormone disrupting chemicals that are found in these products. Um, And as I said earlier, tackling the taboo and also increasing access and championing plastic-free and reusable menstrual products that are already on the market, which not a lot of people know about. So we talk about all the different options that are available, um, whether it be menstrual cups, period pants, um, reusable tampon applicators, or reusable washable pads. And really, it's been exciting, the the movement that we've had with Environmental Week, and it's uh, a week where we always launch a toolkit, which is meant to be a very accessible toolkit for anybody to use. So it could be, you could just be someone who's really passionate about making a difference in your community, or it could be an organization that wants to improve their environmental, you know, practices yeah. um, or rebates open to everybody. And there's lots of interesting activities included. So we have like an instruction pack for how to make your own period pad oh, and wow, pattern. So, uh, you know, you can host a period quiz to raise awareness about the issues with your contacts and friends and networks and family. And we also lobby manufacturers. So, like you mentioned earlier, we, we might put together a social media kit where people can tweet at um, big manufacturers about the plastic issue or any issues that they want to raise with them. Yeah. And we do that uh, every year, really. And this year, we're excited as well because we're launching a big photo challenge called the period proud photo photo challenge oh wow okay so it's going to be a challenge that people can participate in where they take a picture outside in a kind of an unexpected area it doesn't have to be outside it can be inside but with their favorite period product Oh, wow. And it can be be a reusable product or a plastic-free product, or if you don't have one of those yet, just your go-to period product. And the idea is that you kind of break the taboo by being open about your period. Um, It could be out in public or, you know, somewhere in your household because we're in lockdown. Yes. Um, You know, you could be climbing a tree or petting your dog or doing your favorite yoga pose or something. Um, But basically, it's the idea is to really... um, you know uh be out and proud and loud about our periods Mm, yeah Um, it sounds like
1: a fantastic initiative
2: yeah and
1: (laughs) very uh encouraging as well people to come out and speak about it openly something that yeah hopefully will to an extent destigmatize the conversation around periods i really hope so
2: yeah exactly Um, that's really the hope and we're really excited that we're partnering with um our friends at zero waste europe who run um the break free from plastic movement and so we're hoping this photo challenge will go kind of europe wide and potentially i'm sure that through social media it could potentially go global yeah. but, um so we're launching it soon and um and it, and people will hopefully be posting their photos throughout Uh, throughout the week um, which is 19th to 25th of October but I think that we would be we would love for the challenge to you know go go forward beyond that
1: yes Um, yes definitely viral I think you've touched upon this already, but, you know, in a way we've discussed how periods have become very monetized through big corporations who tend to take the majority cut of the profits or the money that we give to, you know, in exchange for period products. Um, Plastic pollution from period products is now the fifth most common found in the sea. And the main reason for that is that people still flush them down the toilet (laughs) uh, as part Mm -hmm. of environmental week. Uh, I understand that WEN aims to amplify the conversation around usables and plastic free period products. Uh, I I do have to admit that my knowledge in this area is very limited. uh, And I'm sure this is the case for many millennials, uh, as well as older menstruating women as well who, you know, might not be aware of these sorts of things. Uh, I guess my question is, how do we raise greater awareness in this area? And are there any cross organizational, commercial initiatives that WEN partners with to bring plastic free and reusables to the mainstream so for example uh, I noted that during my recent trip to the supermarket the sanitary products aisle was dominated by the popular brand names with tampons and pads taking up most of the shelf space whereas I don't really think I even spotted reusables for example moon cups unless I looked at the very bottom I just wanted to ask what we're doing to uh, to raise the visibility of, of alternatives which are more sustainable
2: yes that's a really good question and it's very true that unfortunately alternative options aren't readily as re- readily available as the typical products you would normally see in the typical brands um, but what's really interesting is that actually Um, toxic free and plastic free period products have existed for decades but Mm -hmm. they're just not very well known and no they're not and not very many people know about them and so things like the menstrual cup which is um, an insertable uh, menstrual management method Mm. where you where the the blood is um, collected rather than absorbed like a tampon and it can be reused for up to 10 years the menstrual cup has actually been around since I think it's the 1930s. Oh wow! But because of yeah, but because of um, I think because of the taboo around periods, as well as um, the fact that big industry companies have you know the majority market share in this space. Yes. That they kind of have the you know the marketing budgets to prom- to push and promote their products, mm-hmm. and um, whereas the kind of smaller businesses or eco and sustainable mental product companies um, don't have as much of a um, presence just yet mm. but that's sort of what we're hoping to uplift um, in our in an environmental campaigning work mm. and we're uh, trying to lobby Big manufacturers to invest in reusables, introduce reusable ranges into their products yeah. um, and yeah. also remove plastic and, and um, any other harmful uh, materials that are in their products. Yeah. Um, but I think it really is all linked to education really as well um, because um, a recent YouGov survey found that around three-quarters of children aren't actually satisfied with the period period education they receive. Mm. so and also on top of that boys aren't really included in the conversation no, um, yeah. and I think it's around 72 percent of boys were not taught anything about the menstrual cycle um, in in school um, and so that's that's kind of where I think the root um, as well uh, the root issue is as well is that we're not really taught about periods in a very um holistic way and we're not um able to to learn about um all the different options that are available including reusables and plastic free Mm -hmm. options yeah so so um i think it's really you know the people who have the most responsibility i think are definitely the industry giants yes um, just because they have a vested interest in continuing to pump out their plastic um chemical filled products um that are disposable because it's i guess it's kind of a better business strategy for them is, for people yeah, to have to continuously because, buy them you know
1: exactly exactly um, i was just about to make that point i mean why would you yeah there's no incentive in selling a one you know a reusable product because they're not going to come back and, and buy more of them so
2: yeah. yeah exactly so i guess that also is tied to like our capitalist society and the, <laughs> the need to continually have to um to to like uh, feed it to this consumerist society but at the same time if that's the only option available then of course that's what we'll we'll turn to yeah. Um, but yeah and i think through our environmental ambassador program where we train uh we train individuals and activists to um to provide education about all of these issues in school environments as well as community groups and universities and uh, business centers as well mm. um, we we try to ensure that we're filling the gap through these workshops um, about the environmental health and social context of periods so that we get a better understanding of of our, our bodies as well as um, how what what kind of um, you know products that we use how they can affect the environment etc. So sounds oh, fantastic. So I did talk mm-hmm. about the menstrual cap um, and there's also washable cloth pads, where there's to- totally loads of brands available to choose from these days, um, and on our website we have um, a bunch of organizations and companies that we partner with that offer. Um, money off vouch- vouchers and discount codes so people if people are interested in trying but it may be a bit too expensive for them they can they can use those codes Well wow, that sounds um, like a really
1: good initiative
2: yeah yeah and it's great and we've we've seen we've seen progress um you know recently you know period pants period underwear is now available in um, in supermarkets and you know we do see menstrual cups being more and more widely available boots just introduced menstrual cups uh, their own brand menstrual cup which uh-huh. is great yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's it's getting there we still have <laughs> work to do um, but there's there's also you know if people aren't comfortable with making the switch to reusable options there's also you know organic and plastic free Mm -hmm. disposable options as well so we also work with a number of brands that offer that as well so it's it's good to know that there's quite a wide variety of options out there and um, and sort of if you think about the kind of economic benefits to switching to reusable products although there's an upfront upfront cost associated Mm -hmm. with it it does end up saving you up to ninety four percent over yes. the course of your lifetime. Of
1: course. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah because you don't have to continue to buy the disposables. I was just thinking back to my conversations with my grandma recently, well, a few years ago now, and she, and I was saying, you know, what did you do during your time? And she was saying how she never had any pads or tampons. She just had to use reusable cloth. And and to mm-hmm. me, when I when I heard that first, I, I, I cringed and I thought, well, how can you do that? Surely that's unhygienic. But actually, mm-hmm. it's incredibly sustainable. And you know what's in the product. You're using a piece of cloth, which is probably a lot less likely to have chemicals that we see Mm-hmm. or you we do not even aware about when it comes to pads and, and tampons like you like you mentioned with a lot of synthetic chemicals so yeah i mean there's a lot of a lot to, of maybe unlearning to do as well as learning uh, yes with products yeah
2: definitely and yeah and there's so many kind of care instructions for you know if you're using reusables mm. how to make sure you're um t- uh, keeping your product hygienic and things like that and Oftentimes they can be more hygienic than the alternative option um, if you're caring for them correctly. So um, yeah, so we always kind of raise awareness about how to use them,
1: how to care for them and wash them. Moving on now to the Soul Sisters project, which um, I recently heard about and which seeks to empower domestic violence sufferers through therapeutic gardening, uh, where WEN visits their homes and provides weekly gardening sessions comprising of horticulture, as well as cooking, crafts and arts. Um, I'd love to know a bit more about the initiative And uh, more importantly, what sort of feedback uh, WEN has received from the women who've been able to be a part of this uh, broader project?
0: Uh, Yeah, so the Soul Sisters um, project has been running for three years, it's a pilot programme that comprises of five women's refuges in East London and the project uh, has been running for two years in partnership with asiana network hestia and refuge um and it's basically so i'm i go like you said tanya i, I turn up at a women's refuge um you know there's around eight women who live in uh, the household that i i visit and mm. um it i mean the turnaround can be can vary between the refugees so we have Five refugees, but like you know the some refugees have children, some don't have children, some my one are just exclusively just women, mm. predominantly from South Asian backgrounds. My role is to to kind of visit their homes really and kind of go and talk about a garden therapy and what kind of things they they enjoy doing generally, yeah it's like it's not, it encompasses like hobbies as well like In general
1: like, chit chat as well just yeah we do we do stuff. lots
0: of like crafts and activities and, oh um awesome. you know and cooking's like one of the
1: like the favorite yeah, thing yeah. yeah i can imagine <laughs> you know when asian women get together that is like you know the ultimate it's, it's definitely therapeutic i love cooking it it distracts me it takes me into a whole new world
0: yeah i think it's because everyone brings like so many different recipes from you know across the globe and like you know mm-hmm. even like just in one country like one in, in India like there's so many different variations to one dish so
1: yeah
0: everybody's so eager to like share what they know and um, obviously we go with the intention of taking our skills um, my skills being you know horticulture and learning how to garden grow food
1: I just wanted to ask I mean it's, it's a great you know it's a fantastic example of ecofeminism feminism and action and human connection with nature And I thought it'd be interesting to hear about, you know, through your interactions with these people, um, were you able to understand their experiences and perceptions and how they shaped their views about womanhood and feminism?
0: I simply entered into an environment and my first instinctive reaction was to have the utmost respect entering that space and being as humble as I possibly could be, even though I was, and now I'm in the position of facilitator. Um, I didn't feel I wanted to facilitate straight away. I yeah. wanted to give, you know, the time and space to create that kind of, as you say, womanhood, sisterhood, whatever you yeah, want.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, You know, let
0: it come to its own being organically.
1: Yeah, um, making people feel comfortable.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and the only thing I probably did superimpose on myself is the idea of getting a garden <laughs> formed, <laughs> like within a really short space of time because the garden that I was assigned um was pretty like much a jungle. Like it was in a really bad state. Like I was I went in, I was like, oh my goodness, like how are we I'm gonna make this into like a sanctuary for the women? <laughs> so like it was a it was a big responsibility. Um and I was like, oh how am I gonna like work on this real quick? How are we gonna do this? But again, that backfired because I didn't need I needed to slow my pace right down again, you know, so the relationship with the women at the refuge was somewhat like form naturally through that exploration, like, you know, how are we going to do this together? Yeah. Like me going in like as a gardener, it was mm. that that's where the therape- therapeutic element comes in. Um, um and I, I think um yeah that reinforces how like women work together, standing strong where we can and equally sharing like the our abilities. Yeah. You know, like I, I was kind of vulnerable as well because I'd been I'd gone into this new setting
1: yeah um,
0: and you know, and i I didn't want to seem like someone who'd gone in to impose anything, really, just
1: yeah
0: sure that there was you know like I said, utmost respect and safety was at the core, like making sure women felt comfortable
1: mm.
0: and um yeah, and I was never for a moment under the impression that I was going to heal people with garden therapy
1: <laughs> no of course it's just a nice way to yeah i guess be you know strengthen your connection with nature also a nice way of being distracted um not in a way in which it's like oh i'm going to you know hide all my problem hide away from my problems or be in denial but it's a way to just i think it's a very nice way to just Use your muscles that you might not otherwise have used. Yeah, use a different no, thought process as well. If you're, you know, planting new seeds, if you're working with someone else or with a group of people to, yeah, to cooperate and work in teams and, um yeah, bounce idea but bouncing ideas off each other. I think that that's a great yeah. form of therapy as well.
0: And gardening, obviously, like since lockdown, people have gone a bit like <laughs> mad with it, like in a yeah, good, yeah. good way. Like obviously, we're not we we're saying it's amazing. Like everybody. Yeah, yeah which is so cool like there's so many people taking up allotment spaces and Mm. you know I think lockdown's had a real huge impact on how people see their green spaces and Mm. you know how they can um, what they can do in the most smallest of spaces with the smallest of spaces And, and I think you know going back to the refuge it's been you know so beneficial for I think like both both of us working together you know the refugees and for when for when you know for, for me as a as, as a job like to,
1: to yeah, it's a two-way process isn't it oh yeah, yeah most definitely
0: like I, I feel like I get just as much you know because um, it's exactly what I want to do I want to be gardening and I want to be cooking like the the produce that I grow and it's like yeah. how does that come together in 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 the refuge that's just like you know amazing really and and the feedback um we've we've been getting generally have been you know really like heartwarming you know women have there was a woman who left after two years of being at the refuge and had written to me to say that she'd learned so much like from just you know the gardening clubs that we did run and um and has been growing like loads of herbs on her windowsill and she feels um you know less lonely like because she's got something to connect with yes yes just her out in the world by herself, which she hasn't been in for like two years because she's been with all these women in a refuge, but now you know like how does she go into this big world and not have any connection but this connection with her herbs like just that makes her feel safe makes her feel you know that she's got she's taken something away from the refuge that is still alive <laughs>
1: Literally, yeah, it sounds like yeah a beautiful initiative that engages many people who might not otherwise have had that safe space to connect with other people so it sounds fantastic. Yeah I also heard about uh, bulk- or read about balcony blooms during COVID-19 which I understand you also <laughs> spearheaded either. <laughs> One of your um, oh gosh where did that that I think yeah like it
0: just I just thought I literally just was fed up of like okay. listening to COVID dramas and then I just, <laughs> yeah like headspace yeah. So I went to my balcony and like obviously you know when you're working and when you're just you know running your home and things like that like you don't get that space to kind of really think about um all the other things that become peripheral like your garden space or your like balcony space in my case so so yeah i just went and like thought oh okay i've got time and space to think about this little space now which is my tiny little balcony and i thought i'll write a little blog first initially it was just like one blog and then i thought oh this everyone seems to enjoy reading <laughs>
1: I'm just gonna keep you talking. inspired people so yeah no it was actually quite mind.
0: fun to get yeah. feedback and people were kind of feeling quite energized and, and so I wrote a series of vlogs during lockdown and I, yeah it was just my way of responding to the world in some way I guess I found myself quite. Mm,
1: I think allotments and balconies are gonna make or already are making a very swift comeback now so that's great yes, definitely. yes. Very um, proud. Keep going everyone <laughs> Well, I'm sure you've inspired a lot of people to uh, to start gardening if they haven't already. Um, it's been a really interesting discussion with both of you. You've made some really awesome points, um, both about your projects and the wider when campaign and broader objectives uh, in the long term. And I just wanted to wrap up with some final thoughts about climate change more broadly. I don't know if you both came across the uh, climate clock by two artists named Gan Golan and Andrew Boyd, which was put up in New York City, uh, and warned that there are now seven years until Earth's carbon budget is depleted, and it made quite a few headlines. It was, it was very striking, um, and I just wanted to, to ask you: you know, is an intersectional feminist approach to tackling climate change the way to address this, and why? And I think a lot, you know, a lot of this stuff has actually already been answered in the examples that you've both given, but taking in the broader climate change context. Um, I mean, by way of example, uh, around 80% of Climate Assembly UK members have said that economic recovery now, following the pandemic, should help achieve net zero, uh, and the government should contextualise any eco- economic uh, recovery plans with a net zero emissions target in mind. Um, and that tackling COVID and the and climate change uh, are not mutually exclusive. That you know, economic recovery plans need to take account of climate change. Um, and the intersectional feminist approach to that is that a lot of people have really enjoyed, you know, working from home. I think a lot of women have having that balance between home mm. and, and work and also cutting their commute as well. That's saving energy. Um, mm. and I guess that's an intersectional, uh, you know, applying a, a simplistic, but a very effective intersectional lens approach to why we should act now as individual, as individuals taking action to, um, you know try and uh, mitigate the effects of climate change however small that may be yeah i was just going to say that i think covid has actually
0: uh, been a bit of a you know eye opener for a lot of people in the sense that we've got all these high rise big buildings that people exist in during the day and then in the evening in their homes and then when you realize actually you can do people are managing to do both in and you know in in their houses and work you know, live and you know, not saying it's the ideal situation, but then like brings into question like why do we, you know, have so many of these buildings that just occupy like just electricity and
1: like Yeah, no reason why are we commuting and why are we commuting you
0: know, what what yeah, what is it it just asks lots of questions, I think, that um target you know around climate change and
1: mm.
0: how could we could could we be doing a lot better than than we are um and, yeah, and obviously the seven-year thing, we shouldn't really be here anyway. Like, we shouldn't... I can't believe it's gotten gone. a seven... We shouldn't have a seven-year itch. We should just... <laughs> there shouldn't be such a thing. We should have... We should not have done this already. Um. So... um Well,
1: yeah, it was always someone else's problem, wasn't it, until now? Yeah,
0: no, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I think even taking responsibility now, um, we're still quite slow because like we, we you know we build things and then we say oh we need to build put more trees in the ground and then we're like well how are we balancing it all all of those things out like we just we pump things into the you know um pump things into the planet and then still strip it away so it's like where's the middle ground mm, yeah.
1: yeah very interesting point um,
2: yeah and i would just add like from from the environmental uh, perspective that's you know the climate crisis has really propelled uh, kind of menstruation as a topic to the forefront um, in terms of have there's been more kind of discussions around the fact that many of the products that are used unfortunately are uh, are containing single use plastic and you know, the majority of one menstrual pad contains 90% plastic. So, and and I've come to hear, you know, from other sort of sustainable menstrual companies that there's been an uptake and interest in reusables um, as during the pandemic, which is, you know, it's unfortunate that the circumstances, um, that these are the circumstances that people are kind of learning about, reusable menstrual products but it's actually um it can be a positive thing to to look at ways that we can sort of manage our health and our periods at home in a in a way that is better for our health and the planet and so it's actually given people time to kind of you know wash their period right. products at home and yeah. you know you're not constantly on the move or thinking about you know how how things can be you know, most convenient in terms of using disposables, you're kind of, I guess it's really, the, the pandemic has really brought these sort of um, issues into the forefront. And it's been an interesting kind of transformation to see people recognising um, the different kind of practical things they can do at home that can mm-hmm. actually um, yeah, make yeah, it you're make a difference. you absolutely
1: right. Yeah. yeah. I think it's definitely been a period of reflection and also comfort if you're if you're at home you're not worried about you know you're able to experiment with products whereas otherwise Mm -hmm. you're in a work context if you're commuting you wouldn't be you you might be insecure about trying on a new product in case you leaked or something you know thinking about a very simple practicality like this you know you realize how Mm -hmm. when you are working from home when you have that work-life balance you are able to do other things that you might not otherwise have whether that's you know Mm -hmm. trying on a new menstrual product or getting experimental with a particular type of sustainable offering by reading up or researching about it which you might otherwise not have had time for so yeah Mm -hmm. it does sound very positive so far
2: yeah definitely definitely and tying it into like the wider you know plastics issue which is definitely detrimental to um to the environment and is part of the climate catastrophe that we have at the moment Mm. and how that how that is linked to you know our oceans our land um and also our own you know personal health um so it's definitely uh where you know we're going to definitely continue with our campaigning around bringing these issues to light and kind of offering practical solutions to these issues that could potentially have a more beneficial um impact so Yeah, definitely something that we um, want to keep at the forefront of all the projects we do.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Well, I've learned so much from both of you and ooh, you're both very inspiring people as well. Um, you've encouraged me to do some gardening, to get more involved in campaign work as well. Um, especially now that, you know, well, for, for the last six months we've been able to, a lot of us have been fortunate enough to be able to work from home. And that's given us a lot of us the time, you know, some extra time to be able to do things. Um, especially volunteer work as well so um so thank you so much to both of you for being incredible guests and for i hope you've also inspired our listeners as well and uh, i hope you enjoyed this this little interview yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us you're very welcome thank you for being here and i hope you both enjoy the rest of your friday
2: you too thank you so thank you. much
1: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this discussion or topic interesting and you want to share your views, we'd love to hear from you. I'm so grateful to those of you who have taken the time to leave me comments, reviews and messages about your thoughts on the podcast. It's really helped inform my direction for this season. Keep your comments coming. I really do love them. You can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook by searching for Brown Don't Frown Podcast and on Twitter at BDF Podcast. You can also reach me on my blog at tanyasweeklydose.com. Please do join the conversation using the hashtag Brown Don't Frown Podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, I'd be super grateful if you could leave me a rating and review as this helps the podcast garner further traction. Please like, share and subscribe. Until next time, thank you.